Old Testament. As you see there, our reading is from Job chapter 33, verse 4. Um, I am actually going to read first from the very beginning of the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, uh, beginning in chapter 1, verse 1, and read through chapter 2, verse 7. Then we'll turn over to Job 33, verse 4. Before we come to the reading and preaching of God's word, let us once again go to the Lord in prayer, seeking his help to open his word to our hearts and minds this day, that it may bear full fruit in the lives of us, his people. Let us pray. Oh, gracious God, we thank you that you have given your word. You have not left us to grope in the darkness, but you have lighted our path and which is a guide into our way by your word, and that you attend these things by your spirit to open up our hearts and our lives to receive your word, to hear it, and to take it, and again to order our lives according to it in order to bring glory and honor to you, our God, and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would do this now for every soul that is in uh, your presence this day at this place, and that you would glorify yourself through it. We thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the work that you do through it in revealing yourself to us. And we pray all these things again in our Savior's name. Amen. So our reading now begins at the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 1. Grace Orthodox Presbyterian Church, I do remind you, that these are the words of your God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, so the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs, for seasons, and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. 
of the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed which is on the face of all the earth and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you, it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food and it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it, he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. This is the history of the heavens and the earth. When they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Let us then turn over to the book of Job, chapter 33. This is the address of Elihu to Job, but I'll only be reading verse 4, because it has to do with the topic of our message this evening. And here it is. Job 33, 4. This is, again, the word of God. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. He that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. When meeting someone for the first time, introductions are in order. It is always good when we are introduce ourselves to someone and they to us. We need to be engaged in meeting them and learning something about them 
so that we might know them and gradually know them better. Well, God introduces himself to us in his word and tells us a lot about himself. And one of the rather mysterious and illuminating and completely unique things about our God is that he is one in essence or substance, but he is also three in person. We call this doctrine, this very mysterious doctrine, the Holy Trinity. We know our God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three persons unified in perfect harmony in the Godhead. And so we are introduced to God as one God, but also as three persons within that one. And so we actually are introduced to the three persons as well, the Father, the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost. But of these three, it is probably the third person of the Trinity that's the most mysterious. And therefore, the Holy Spirit is the one of the three that perhaps is least understood and perhaps confused about. Therefore, it is entirely prudent for us to understand the Holy Spirit, especially since we actually experience his presence and that he himself communicates to us both the presence of the Father and the Son. He indwells us as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He indwells us in our union with our Lord and King. And he is the one poured out into our hearts to apply the person and work of the Son in fulfilling the eternal plan of the Father. It is the Holy Spirit that makes the triune God present before you here and now. So we're going to focus tonight on God the Holy Spirit. And I hope and pray you make it your earnest desire to know him better. Not only in your mind, but also in the depths of your heart, that you desire to know the one who eternally proceeds from both the Father and the Son, and who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. And so this brings us to our message tonight on the person work of God the Holy Spirit. And our purpose statement for our message today is very straightforward and simple, and actually comes right out of our one of our own church creeds, the Nicene Creed, in which we all confess we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. And so our main proposition this evening is the Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of life. And we'll consider this confessional statement and truth under four points this evening. And our first point is the Spirit of God. Very simply, the Spirit of God. The word for spirit in the Hebrew is the term ruach, and it can be translated as spirit, wind, or breath. The Spirit of God is identified by the New Testament writers as the Holy Spirit almost every time, and he retains that qualifier because he is from God and of God. As we confess, he is one with God and proceeds from God. And it is important to make the distinction, since there are other spirits in the world and also other spirits referred to in the scripture. There is the spirit of man. It's that part of man that animates the person. 
The author of Ecclesiastes writes, of the spirit of man at death, it returns to God who gave it. The psalmist speaks of his own spirit often. There are also troubling or what we may call evil spirits as well. But the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is God. As we confess from our own catechism, there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Therefore, the work of God is truly indivisible among the three persons of the Trinity. And the first reference made to the Spirit of God, the Ruach Elohim, appears, as we read, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. In the very beginning of creation, and therefore the whole work of creation is attributable to the Spirit of God, as it is inseparably to the Father and to the Son as well. And so this is why we confess the Holy Spirit as Lord and giver of life or is rendered another way as the author and giver of life, which brings us to our second point, the creator, the creator. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is the creator, as is the Father and the Son. In Genesis 1, the Spirit of God is brooding over the waters of creation. These are later pushed back to accommodate life on earth. To make life possible. And so the implication is that the Spirit gives life to all creatures and ultimately to humanity created in the image and likeness of God. The Spirit is described as the Creator by the psalmist in Psalm 33, as we read in our call to worship, and the giver of life, the preserver and governor of the universe in Psalm 104. And as we read earlier from Elihu's speech of Job 33, it was understood that the Spirit of God was the creator and the giver of human life. The Spirit is regarded as the source of order, life, and light. Like a mother bird hovering over the creation, in everything that follows the production of light, dry land, vegetation, creatures, in the sea, in the air, in the land, and ultimately in humanity itself, we should understand that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is comprehensively and intimately engaged. For the work entails making the earth, which began originally as empty, formless, dark, and wet, and he made it into a place inhabitable for humanity to live, flourish and exercise jurisdiction on God's behalf. It's interesting that in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 when Adam's creation is more specifically focused upon we read that God breathed the breath of life into Adam. Here the spirit was fully engaged in the creation of humanity. Also the plural in Genesis 1, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, entails an inter-Trinitarian council or conference. All three persons of the Godhead are involved, each performing a distinct part of the work, and each working together inseparably. 
and the Spirit is there from beginning to end, brooding over the whole creation, being breathed into Adam, constituting him a living being, a living soul. Not only is the Spirit of God the creator, but like the Father and the Son, the Spirit is also the sustainer of his creation. The Spirit pervades the created order, maintaining it and granting life to all created things. Consider Job 26, verse 13. By the Spirit, the heavens were beautified. Consider Job 27, 3. The Spirit of God fills my nostrils. Or Job 32, 8. The Spirit of Shaddai the Almighty gives understanding. We've already considered Job 33, 4, but what about Job 34, 14 and 15? If God should remove his spirit, all flesh would surely perish, and mankind would return to the dust of the earth. Psalm 104, verses 29 and 30 When you, O Lord, hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. But when you send forth your spirit, they are created, as well as renew the face of the earth. It's a very strange thing that the spirit of the Lord is often associated with chaos or a lack of order. Even in the church. And there are churches where the Holy Spirit, there's all this disorder going on. Because everyone is moved by their own way in their spirit. Even Paul experienced that in Corinth. All these divisions going on, and they attribute it to the spirit. And that is strange. When from the first, the spirit is the conveyor of order out of chaos associated so intimately with order. Again, you think of the Apostle Paul that talks about setting things in proper order in the church. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. But again, the Spirit can certainly unleash ordered creation in a way that brings an end to life and the breath of his creatures to cease, as we've already read. It is fascinating that there is a connection in both Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 of creation and Genesis chapter 6 verse 3 to its decreation in the flood. In both contexts, the reference is to the Spirit of God. In Genesis 1, the Spirit presides over the creation. In Genesis 6, there has been a presumptuous revolt and a rebellion by the human race against their creator and sustainer. Note well the language of verse 3 of Genesis chapter 6. And the Lord said, Yahweh said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. For he indeed is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Therefore he says, I will destroy everything that has in it what? the breath of life from the face of the whole earth. 
Therefore, not only is the Spirit of God the creator and sustainer, but he is the governor and the judge of his creation. The Spirit is seen to have cosmological authority separating the waters and creation on the one hand in order to cause life to flourish and grow, but also withdrawing in judgment and allowing the waters of the great deep to return on the other. It has an echo of Psalm 104, where the withdrawal of the creator spirit affects the total disintegration of created life. Thus we ought to have a very high and exalted view of the Spirit of God in all of these respects. These connections indicate the total dependence of creation, which includes you and I, by the way, I hope you see yourself here, as well as all humanity, on God the Holy Spirit. Thus the Holy Spirit is the Lord, the author and giver of all life. Which brings us to our third point, the cosmic spirit. The cosmic spirit. I think here in particular is where we need to consider, assess, and greatly expand our own view of the Holy Spirit. We need to see the fuller and deeper and greater, broader, wider context of the work of the Spirit in the created world. The work of the Spirit in the world. First, by considering his purpose and end goal which is to bring the whole created order to its destiny in which God the Father had appointed it from his plan from all eternity. And you know what that purpose is. It's to bring all in glory to God. Abraham Kuyper, the former prime minister to the Netherlands and Dutch theologian, says this. Let us not be understood to say that God comes into contact with the creature only in the work of regeneration of his children, for that would be untrue. To the Gentile unbelievers at Athens, the Apostle Paul says, In him we live and move and have our very being. And again, quoting from the philosophers, but saying this is true as well, we are his offspring. To say nothing of plants and animals, there is on earth no life, energy, law, or element, but that the almighty and the omnipresence of God quickens and makes alive and supports that life from moment to to moment causing that energy to do its work, enforcing that law, the energy that proceeds from God must therefore touch the creature at the very center of its being, whence its whole existence must spring. Therefore, there is no sun, no moon, nor star, no material, no plant or animal, and in a much higher sense, no man, no skill, gift or talent unless God touch and support them all. Or in other words, the Spirit of God 
is the divine animator of all life. The Spirit of God is the divine animator of all life and creation. Usually and most often, our focus is very narrow. Our focus on the activity and work of the Holy Spirit is almost always focused upon the church and or the individual. And in that way, the cosmic purpose of the Spirit of God has been woefully neglected. The Spirit's person and work is cosmic in scope. And the sphere of his work is far beyond the heavens and the earth. Yes, he does indeed plunge the depths of man's very heart and soul in his work of regeneration. That is true. But the expanse of his work is not limited to the individual or even the church, but the whole cosmos itself. In fact, this is the context in which the Spirit's redemptive work takes place. He displays the grand overall design of God. He renders all attempts to construct the sacred secular division out of court. Especially in these days, the church must recognize and acknowledge that the entire world, the whole creation around us, is not ours. But it all belongs to the Lord. With Christ as its ruler and the Holy Spirit as its animator. Both working inseparably with the Father and the unity of the Trinity to bring the creation to its perfect goal and redeemed humanity. That's you, brothers and sisters. That's you. To participate in its administration. What are we looking for? We are looking to the new life in the age to come. And that new life is in the Spirit. It's in the Spirit. We often speak of the cosmic Christ. But here we also need to see and understand the cosmic spirit of God. He is Lord, the author and giver of life, the divine animator of life, all life in creation. Without the work and presence of the spirit, there is no life at all. Without the spirit, you and I are but collections of dust. It is the cosmic creator spirit of God that breathes the breath of life into our body, constituting us a living soul, a living being, a living person. Do you understand this, my friends? This thought ought to humble you and cause you to fall down on your knees and praise God for his spirit, which he gives to you in order to give you life and breath and being itself. 
But before closing out this message, we need to consider one final point, our fourth point, the presence of God. The presence of God. The Spirit of God is not merely God at work in the world, but the Spirit is the presence of God himself. We confess that, don't we? God is Spirit. The Spirit is so much more than merely the agent of God, but he is the very presence of God. In the Old Testament, it would be simply wrong to suggest that the Old Testament writers consciously understood the later doctrine of the divine Holy Trinity. But they most certainly laid that groundwork for such a doctrine by associating God's Spirit with God himself. They so closely associated the reality of God's Spirit with God himself. So the Spirit of the Lord is always presented in parallel with the presence of the Lord. David communicates this truth in his great confessional statement in Psalm 51 when he cries out, Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He does the same again in Psalm 139, where he cries out the question, Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? Here we see that the spirit is omnipresent, everywhere present here in this psalm, inescapably present everywhere. David's description and observations in Psalm 139 is of a man who understands that God's presence and spirit is more real, intimately real, than what we would call the reality or world around him. Where can I go? Where can I escape? There you are. And that's a glorious thing. Again, this is the same thing that Paul puts in other words to the Athenian philosophers. For in him we live and move and have our being, have our very existence. The same reality that the Spirit of God as the cosmic spirit fills all, is in all, animates and gives being and existence to all, and is everywhere present, is also seen in his presence in the tabernacle and later temple. Now he's there in a very special way for his people through the promises and the covenant, but again he's present. If you recall, the divine manifestation of God's presence was experienced by way of the Shekinah glory cloud of God filling the whole tent of meeting in the tabernacle. So much so that Moses and the priests could not enter it to minister and serve. And the same happened in the days of King Solomon following the building of the temple. These structures represented the entire cosmos. The entire cosmos. The whole created world. This is actually revealed for us in an indirect way in the call of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 6 of his prophecy when he sees Yahweh high and lifted up on the throne in his house, and we read the train of Yahweh's robe filled the whole temple. 
That is the manifestation of his glory. And what is it that the seraphim cried out? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Now that's just one instance where we see the parallel between the tabernacle, temple, and the cosmos. There's other parallels. There's a very clear parallel in the way that the tabernacle is described and it being built. And it's, there's similarities between that and the creation account as biblical theologians have laid out. But again, the whole creation again falls under the curse. And so the need for this miniature cosmos, if you will, in the tabernacle and temple for God in order for God to dwell with his people. But the fact that the whole temple or house is filled with his glory means his spirit pervades every square inch of not only that tabernacle and temple, but what they represent, the entire created order itself. And lastly, the spirit brings about the fullness of God's covenant promises. Now, we may be thinking Christ does that, and he does. But so does the Spirit. Because God promises people to d- that I will dwell in your midst. How is that fulfilled? Through the presence of his Spirit. He promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But that to be, I will always be present with you. He makes good and he's faithful to those covenant promises by way of his ever-present spirit. As Jesus is ready to ascend into heaven, to sit at the right hand of the Father, he says, I will be with you always. How is he with them always? Through the presence of the Spirit of God. So if the Spirit is present, then by definition, God himself is present because the Spirit is God and God is the Spirit. You begin to see why the apostles were so amazed and so enamored with this reality of being in the Spirit and having the very Spirit of God dwelling in you. When you truly understand the truth concerning the person and work of the Spirit, it is truly beyond what you can think and imagine. The Spirit is eminent, that is close. In fact, beloved brothers and sisters, he is dwelling in you. But at the same time, the Spirit of God is transcendent. At the very same time, he's transcendent. Far above the highest heights of heavenly expanse and glory. He fills all creation and is working to bring all things in subjection to the Son and from the Son into complete subjection and worship to the Father. You need to have a grander view, a broader view, a cosmic view of the one who indwells you. who unites you to your Lord and Savior and King, the one who communicates all that is the Son of God's to you. He takes of what the Son is the Son's and he applies it and gives it to you. 
Again, the son's eternal inheritance, including the resurrection life from the dead, that you might conquer death and sin and live unto God in righteousness and holiness. The Apostle Paul tells the church, do you realize that the very power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, is present in you? That's not to focus our eyes on ourselves, but again on the reality of the work of God in the Spirit that has been poured out because of the finished work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, this work of God working in you to sanctify you as righteous and holy. This, too, is the work of the Holy Spirit. So again, what is the point? The point is, please, please do not take the Spirit of God for granted, my friends. Do not grieve the Spirit who has been poured out into your hearts and lives. Love Him. Cherish him. Depend upon him. Pray to him. Yes, often we pray to the Father in the name of the Son by the power of the Spirit. But our, our catechism is very clear. It is not wrong to pray to the Son or to the Spirit because they too are God. If prayer is part of our worship, and the Spirit, and the Son, and the Father, they're all God. We can pray and worship to them and pray to each of them. You are to do all things in Him, in the Spirit, by and with the Spirit. For the with the Spirit is life. If that's true, if with the Spirit is life, then everything, again, outside the Spirit is death, and soon to be annihilated. The apostle commands you, admonishes you, exhorts you, pleads with you, sets your mind on the spirit. For the spirit is life and peace. The spirit takes what is Christ and makes it yours if you are in union with him. It's the spirit who unites you with the Son. Again, this too is the work of the Spirit of God in you. So as we close, please do not take these words or this message lightly. It is the Spirit of God who gives you life, both in this world and in the one to come. The Apostles' words are as as important and significant today as they were when they were written, where he says, So to the Spirit. For if you will, you will from the Spirit reap life. So remember, the Holy Spirit is the Lord and the giver of life. So let us all cherish him, love him, Worship him and glorify him this day and forevermore. Amen?
Amen. Let us pray. O gracious and heavenly Father, we again thank you. We thank you so much for your grace and your mercy to us to remind us of these things that sometimes we neglect to consider. We thank you again, and we are reminded that it is the Spirit's purpose to again point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. It said he would not testify of himself, but he would testify to Christ. But we, again, would be neglectful if we did not be reminded of your Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, who intimately makes what is the Son's ours and brings us to you, the Father, through the work of the Son. He makes us all available in order to bring you glory, to glorify and exalt the name of the Son in our hearts, and to bring and make salvation possible. And he indwells the church of Christ. Thank you, Father, for your spirit. We pray that we would believe in him and be obedient to him, living our lives in accordance to his power, that we would love him and cherish him this day. And we pray all these things again in the name of our Savior, who is the one who has baptized us with the Spirit. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen.